Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and a very warm welcome. This is the Motormouth Podcast with myself, Harry Benjamin, and Tim Sylvie, where in each show we sit down with a figure from the world of motorsports and dive into how exactly they ended up where they are now. F1 champions, team principals, Formula E and touring car stars. If there's anyone with a story to tell, they'll usually tell it right here. Motormouth is an app and website where you can catch up with all the latest F1 gossip at motormouth.club and view live timings across a race weekend with our app we're also proud to be partnered with the brain tumor charity helping to raise awareness and help find a cure through events like our annual karting race where you can go head-to-head against professional drivers all to raise vital funds for more info check out motormouthkartrace.com This podcast is brought to you by F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel program of Formula One. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the pinnacle of motorsport. And let's face it, any chance to get close to Formula One, we're all over it. Enjoy the very best race tickets and track hospitality, first class hotels and unprecedented access you simply cannot get anywhere else. For more information on how you can book your F1 experience, visit f1experiences.com where you can also save 5% on your very own F1 Experiences package by using the code MM11F1E when checking out online. So, what are you waiting for? Experience the 2022 F1 season firsthand with exclusive access courtesy of F1 Experiences. Get booking today at F1Experiences.com. Hello, I'm Tim Sylvie, and today we're joined by a man who was born in Nairobi in Kenya, living there until eight years old. But before we introduce him, Harry, I have a little... Uh, African-based quiz question for you. Why do you do these to me? You know I'm just awful at them. You sound terrible, by the way. 
I know. Can I just make an apology? I am a little bit under the weather. Uh, I think I either shouted too much over the weekend on the Formula 3 commentary or I've got a bit of a cold. <laughs> so uh, I'm plowing on, though. Yeah, a boy. Right, are you ready for this? The yeah, Nairobi National Park is home to many species of animal life. Which of the mammals that lives in the park is indigenous to the area? Is it A, cheetah, B, giraffe, C, buffalo, or D, black rhino. I am, I've, again, absolutely no idea. It could be any of them, surely. Although I feel like maybe maybe not black rhino, because I feel like they're quite indigenous to the area, though. Mm, that means like they're from that area, Correct. right? Yes, well done. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll giraffe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It is black rhino. Is which, it black rhino? Which incidentally oh, no. is called the hook-lipped rhino, is also known as that. It's indigenous to the eastern areas and central areas of Africa. But weirdly, the colours of the black rhino range from brown to grey, despite its name. So God knows who named it and why they did that. Um, and they can be seen living in the national park right throughout the year. Um, so oh. there you go. So if you ever go to Nairobi, um, look out for the funny-coloured black rhino. Um, but enough of our... Uh, safari-based ramblings. Shall I introduce today's guest? I think so. He's been nodding along furiously, so I think he knew the answer to that one. Now, this bit's going to be tough because he's got a lot of letters after his name. So, Wing Commander Stuart Edmondson, M-A-M-E-N-G-C-E-N-G-M-R-A-E-S-R-A-F, and I've said that all wrong, was born in aforementioned Nairobi in Kenya before moving to Trinidad and then to the slightly less glamorous um, location of Hailing Island in the UK. He's Cambridge educated, a chartered engineer, and has completed 19 years in the RAF in various senior positions. Why is he on the Motorsport Podcast here with us today? Well, in 2016, he joined the Bloodhound Land Speed Record Team. And if you're not familiar with the project, it's a car that's reached a speed of over 1,000 kilometres per hour. So when he's not breaking records he's an avid scuba diver and passionate about protecting the world's oceans and is a co-founder of the inaugural Falkland Islands Ultra Marathon a fairly impressive CV Stuart massive massive welcome to the uh, Motormouth podcast well thank you what an introduction no uh, great to be here and I really appreciate you inviting me on your show you're very welcome first of all what are the letters after your name I, I, I know I got them all wrong M-A-M-E-N-G it's probably pronounced something different but you've got a lot of stuff after your name yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, well, uh, my my degrees at university, there's some of the letters there, and then obviously chartered engineer, um, member of the Royal Aeronautical Society, so that's some of the letters there. And obviously, if you are if you have or you are a member of the Air Force, then you're entitled to put your letters, you know, the RAF letters after your name. So very good. Yeah, that's a brief explanation of of those. The, the more crucial question, I suppose, is did you know about the black rhinos? No. Oh, you I didn't. To be honest, I could have lied then. Should have lied. Could have lied, couldn't I? <laughs> um, no, I didn't. And I was scratching my head. And I honestly, I had no more clue than you did, Harry. So there we go. Very that makes me feel, makes me feel so much Wikipedia better. Was that Wikipedia read or something? <laughs> I have my so- sources. It, does, it is Wikipedia usually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, I'm sure we can talk about black rhinos all day, but let's dive into it because it's actually fascinating uh, to start off with. It, as Tim suggested, you know, a little, you know, you grew up and you were born in Kenya. So how and, and why, you know, what, what's the connection there? What, what, what the early days like in, in Kenya? Yeah, no, I, a good question. I always get that. Um, yeah, my dad in the early 70s, my mum and dad, um, 
my dad was a quantity surveyor, and um, in East Africa, in Kenya, there was um, there was a big surge to build schools and hospitals. So he saw an advert to go and help the building industry out there in the early seventies, and um, my brother and I were born out there. So yeah, that that's a simple reason we ended up out there. And then yeah, I, what an experience! I, I obviously didn't realise at the time, but now when I look back on it. Um, yeah, I um, mean, the adventures I had and the upbringing I had, obviously there was no TV. So when I came to the UK, <laughs> I didn't understand what anybody was talking about because <laughs> I never really seen TV. So it's a different lifestyle and it was an outdoor lifestyle. And, and I think, you know, Tim mentioned about, you know, my passion for the wildlife and the environment. I, I guess that stems from my early days living in such an amazing place with all the wildlife around me. So, yeah, I, I do look back at it with um fond memories and you but you went from kenya and uh, not immediately immediately to the uk you, you went via trinidad was that yes. and that was that your 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 father just getting a new role in a different country for a little while and then off you trot to the next location yeah yeah i think you know my dad and my mom were up for an adventure and i think <laughs> he saw an advert for a job in trinidad the <laughs> eu for some reason were were trying to run some education programs and um building trade um so my dad went out to trinidad to teach you know to quantity surveying so so off we went again and um yeah that was another wild experience um and yeah and then i came back to the uk parents decided i needed a bit of good education so trinidad wasn't the best so um that's why we returned to the uk well not return that's why came to the UK for the first time when I was about 11 years old. It must have been... And, sorry, sorry, Harry. I was just going to say, it must have been very odd because I think of my kids. My oldest one is six years old now, and he's obviously... Uh, he's English. He's born and bred in England. You were born and bred outside of England in unusual countries for, you know, a, a fairly middle-class white family. Did, did you did you feel English or did you feel something else? Um. No, I no, I, I definitely, I suppose, yeah, it's British English, yeah, because the community, you know, the expat community stick together. So my, you know, my parents, friends, whilst we had a mix of friends from lots of countries, there was there was a core English community. Um, but when you're a kid, I guess you don't think about it. But when I came back, when I came to the UK and went to school. I realized I was different, you know, and that that was challenging because I had well, I had a different background to anybody else. So then I realized maybe I'm not as normal English as <laughs> I should be, um, if that makes sense. So, but no, I, I didn't think I was any different. It's not like I think I'm Kenyan um at all, no. Um so yeah, it's it's just I think it's just added to the fabric of my background. Yeah. And then when you returned to the UK, you know, you mentioned you wanted to go back for education purposes and, and that you certainly did by going to one of the most prestigious universities in the United Kingdom in Cambridge. What did you study there? What was it like uh, in Cambridge? Talk us to your times there. Yeah, amazing. I do look back at those times. I mean... It was, I mean, it was a real privilege to get there. It was hard work to get there. Um, oh, yeah, and when you arrive, it's hard work to maintain it because you are surrounded by, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm proud I got there, but I wouldn't put myself in, you know, the top clever people. There are some really clever people. So to work and be inspired with what people are doing there was just amazing. And the, it was a work, work hard, play hard environment. So the other opportunities, um, 
were just fantastic. So the, you know, I learned to fly through the Air Force. I was rowing and it was just, you know, it's it, it, it was very formative, you know, for how I've ended up where I am now. Um, I studied engineering, um, but specialized in aeronautical engineering. In fact, the master's I did um, was in the Sir Frank Whittle Laboratory at Cambridge University um, studying jet engines. So, you know, that will come onto it, but obviously there's a linkage there. So, um, yeah, I, a fantastic time and a, a great experience. So, yeah. Um, so so the the uh, the jet engine thing is obviously a precursor for what's to come, but um, I suppose the RAF after studying like something like that seems like a fairly logical step. Did, was it straight into the RAF from university? Yes, it was. In fact, I was sponsored through my A-levels. And so I made this decision early on in life I, to join the Air Force. So they sponsored me through my A-levels and through university. Um, and the the journey for that was I I love the outdoor, linking back to my childhood, I just love the adventure outdoor lifestyle. I had a friend who was like joining the Marines. I thought, that's pretty cool. That sounds adventurous. You get to go around the world and challenging outdoor, you know, a job. And I thought that's brilliant. But then I had this also this engineering desire because he used to build things and fiddle with things and take things apart and not be able to put them back together again. And um, so I thought, hold on a second. I do like my engineering. I love fast jets, you know, fighter aircraft. I was like, wow. So then I put two and two together and thought, ah, actually, I could join the Air Force, which is still military, not Marines, but yeah. still military, and 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 get involved with fighter jets. So that started at a young age, and then I, I never left that path because I went through A-levels in university, and straight after university, I was off to officer training, and then that was it. I was in for... 19 years. I, I get the uh, fascination with with military aircraft. I saw, um, there were, there've been two moments where I thought, wow, that's seriously cool. One was um, I was at the British Grand Prix and the Red Arrows flew over extremely low. I was with my girlfriend at the time, now wife, and she cried when they flew over. I was like, yeah, well, that, that's pretty amazing. It has an impact and it is amazing. And I actually was lucky enough to meet the Red Arrows a few years ago and um, amazing hearing from them. But the other time that I was really blown away by a military aircraft was at Goodwood when they flew the Vulcan. And um, I've just never seen anything like it. I mean, it's just like one giant wing in the sky and it came over really low and the noise and the sheer size of that thing just takes your breath away, doesn't it? I mean, it's an extraordinary machine. Yeah, no, it is. I think the Red Arrows is, is so good for our country. And um, yeah, I saw them at um, you know, Silverstone and it is impressive. Um, and the Vulcan. So yeah, I absolutely. Well, you, you understand? Yeah. <laughs> you understand yeah. my drive then and that, that's great. That you, you must have some some pretty incredible stories from your, your time in the forces as well. What what stands out still? Uh, yeah, when you start, um, I think it, you know deploying deploy. So squad, you know, fast jets are in squadrons, so up to twelve aircraft as a team. There's probably 100, 150 people in there, mostly engineers. So you've got the air crew as well, and as a as a unit, you deploy around the world and taking part in some exercises in amazing places with other nations is just fantastic. Um, and also going on operations, you know, I was involved in the Libya operation um, and that's just professionally challenging um, and, and rewarding, notwithstanding the politics of why we go, because it's not the military's yeah. role to choose where we go, but given a task, it, it's an amazing what, you know, what, 
the British military, the Royal Air Force are do achieve. And, you know, we're highly respected around the world. The Americans think we're amazing, even though we're very small. And, and you know, being part of that is just such a great professional feeling. And, and um, I enjoyed that. But there were tough times as well. Um, and they were good. You know, the bonus was I got to fly in these fighter aircraft as well. So even though I was an engineer... I've flown in them, and that, and that that that's you know I I couldn't be a pilot. I recognise that, um, but yeah, that was awesome experience flying in you know the late uh, Eurofighter Typhoon, for example. Can I, asking a very naive question because I'm completely clueless when it comes to the military. As an engineer, are you put in a position where you're in a combat scenario as well? Not not in, in a simple answer. No, not necessarily. Um, it depends what you're engineering. So. Fighter aircraft are highly valuable assets, so you, you don't put them into, you know, unless unless we're into a really bad situation, um, you don't put them forward, as it were. Um, so, n- no. But then you, we have engineers working on all sorts of stuff, including supporting special forces. So if you get into those niche roles, then absolutely you can be. Um but no, I think my mum will be pleased to hear that I, I never was in a, a high threat environment. But that's not to say you would never be. You just don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what a, what a fascinating background as well. And then, you know, 2016, and, and this is where a lot of our listeners will be familiar with the land speed record and what that means to, to people around the, the automotive world too. And it's clearly that's something that caught your interest when you joined the Bloodhound Land Speed Record team. So tell us yeah. a bit about how initially that project came about, what piqued your interest into it, and, and why the team exists. Yeah, no, oh my God. <laughs> There's a lot of questions in there. Um, yes, yeah, so <laughs> I, my, I, 2016, obviously the project had been going for a while um, by then, and and... And to be honest, the, the, the time before that, the many years before that, was all about the design and build phase, um, which I, I, I wasn't part of. The reason I joined the team was we were transiting from designing and building the car to operating it. And obviously, my background is operating fast jet. So that, that's the link of how, how I got involved. Um, I was actually connected. I got involved with the team when I was in the Air Force. So there's the linkage because... Um, the Air Force have been involved in help building certain components of the car, for example, the fin. And obviously the fin looks like, you know, it's it's almost the same size of um, the Red Arrows fin on the Hawk. So, so the Air Force technicians and the skills there were used in building car. And I was um, effectively the project officer within the Air Force. Um, and I left the Air Force, but I kept in touch with the team and Richard Noble uh, and the chief engineer, Mark Chapman. And, uh, and then... Later on, I got the call. Oh, we're looking to operate the car for the first time. We think we could use your skills. Would you like to join the team? Well, <laughs> you don't. <laughs> I took a microsecond to answer that question um, because you know, I, doing you know fast jets and then ultimately engineering challenges such as this is is just what I've dreamed of. So that that was how I got into it, um, and I think. You know, and it went from there. I uh, probably haven't answered all your questions, Harry. What was... <laughs> and uh, your mother's maiden name and your PIN number as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That in there too. Uh, no, I mean, it's it's just fascinating hearing how, how the, the story comes about initially. So well, what's what's the plan going forward now? Obviously, if you maybe set the scene for, you know, why people go and set this land speed record in the mm. first place. 
Yeah, yeah, I know that. That is obviously that is a good question. I get that all the time. I mean, historically, um, I mean, land speed records. You know, last hundred years, it's been uh, there's been that that competition between the Brits and you know the Americans, um, and it's been you know pushing the engineering boundaries has been you know huge desire for. The, you know, for the human race for a long time. And and the outright Lansby record, which is the ultimate one, which is, you know, the, the, the fastest one with very few rules, is, is one that, you know, that sits high on the agenda of pushing engineering boundaries. And we can talk about the detail of what, of what we're doing and what we're achieving. But this particular project, Bloodhound, um, has been recognised by the government when it was formed because... Um, the government recognised um, we need more scientists and engineers. So, so Richard Noble, when he formed the project, he 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 spoke to the UK government. He obviously needed access to uh, the jet engine that we have in the car, and um, the government recognised this could be a huge inspiration to our next generation in, in the STEM arena: science, technology, engineering, and maths. Um, and 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 so that's how the project was born, um, and we still is. We're a huge STEM inspiration. Um, we have uh, a charity that um, uh, you know uh, interacts with hundreds of thousands of children um, each year, and it's it's and I present at schools. And when you when you when you stand there and explain we're building a rocket jet car. It just you see the the faces on the young kids and and they are inspired and I I just hope so you know it encourages some of them just to consider you know that engineering and science is is a is an option in their life and and, and look what can be achieved because engineers solve things and uh, and uh, we need the engineers to solve the problems of the day you know whether it's the current environmental problem or whatever problems we're going to face in the future. It's fascinating, and that that's, uh, makes perfect sense for the reason why why it exists. Um, and and what have you achieved so far? I've watched several videos, um, and uh, I, I actually yesterday watched the video of um, I, I can't remember the location that it was in, but it, it was driving. You went up to expecting to do sort of six hundred and something miles per hour, you know, low six hundreds, and you ended up getting up to six twenty eight. And it was like, yeah, is is that where you are currently, or and and what are the plans yeah. to go higher? Is it realistic to get to a thousand miles per hour? Yeah, so where we're at, I mean, where we're at, at the moment is a very good question. We the the test we've done testing in Yuki, um, um, and that's that was low speed testing, so it's up to two hundred miles per hour. Um, that's just to prove the whole system as the whole car as a system is functioning, you know, whether it's brake steering and the integration of the engine with the computers on board. And then we took it out to South Africa, which is a video you saw, which I mean, uh, this is the plug. There's an hour-long documentary on Channel 4, um, came out on primetime TV a year ago, and, and that's still available on catch-up. So that will cover our high-speed testing. It was never, we never intended to break the record. We, it was always about testing um, the fact the car's designed on a supercomputer um, and there's never been any, any wind, uh, you know, wind tunnel testing so on. The wind tunnel testing was actually running the car on this desert um, out in South Africa, um, incrementally you know, increasing the speeds and, and then comparing because the car's covered with sensors, um, pressure sensors and so on. And we, we collected a load of data. And we're now confirming 
that the car, the modeling of the car that produced the design is now matching reality. Um, and that was hugely successful. I mean, the car, I, as I said, I'll put my hands up. I'm not involved in the design or build of it. Um, I'm responsible for running the car. And it is just phenomenally well designed and built. And to, to go out to the desert and within a few weeks, you're up to those sort of speeds. I mean, over 600 miles per hour was phenomenal and safely you know i'm responsible for safety and so each time we run we start at low speed 50 100 miles per hour 150 it's all very, very slow but each time there's a huge amount of checks um to confirm the safety because that is ultimately what we need to keep eye on that's our number one priority and if we're ever uncomfortable then we stop but the fact we kept going and going, right, okay, we've just done 350. What's the feedback on the data? What's the loading on the suspension? All of these things. How is the handling by the driver? You put that all together and you reassess and you go, that's solid. Yeah. That, that, that we can go on. And the fact we kept going on, you may not or may not, if you're a Lansby record fan, some cars have gone through fairly traumatic times to increase the speed and ultimately break records but bloodhound is on you know it's on an impressive you know advancing on on speed so we did that we've we now proven the car we've proven a getting out there logistics you're living in a desert hundreds of miles from anywhere you've got to set up a camp you've got to have the power you've got to have all the resources and we had some funny stories you know I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. From a fan belt breaking on a tractor, you know, nothing to do with us, but where'd you get a fan belt yeah. from? And it's almost like, well, let's try the old tights technique. And, and in the end, you've got to solve those problems. And, and, and we did. And so it's not just proving the car, it's proving the team. Because the land speed record is a real challenge in the sense that people go, oh, you just go fast and then it oh, breaks. No, no, I mean, no. you've got to do, you've got to do two runs within an hour. And when you've got a car that's got a jet engine, rocket fuel, all of those things, you've got to cool the car down because it generates so much heat within. You can't have a radiator because obviously the impact on drag. So you're then into this, well, I've got to dump the heat, I've got to refuel it, I've got to reset the driver, and I've got to do all of this, and I've got to get back through the flying mile within an hour. So that 
is hugely challenging, exciting, um, but all part of this, you know, where, where we're proving, we've already proven ourselves. It's so absolutely bonkers. A quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsor, F1 Experiences. F1 Experiences offer a wide range of packages that come direct from Formula One, giving you a unique experience of the pinnacle of motorsports. Official ticket packages come with the very best race tickets, first-class hotels and transfers and unprecedented access, including track tours, pit lane walks, VIP hospitality and loads more. It really is the closest you can get to Formula One. And Motormouth listeners can save 5% on your next F1 Experiences package by using the code M. M11F1E when booking online at f1experiences.com. I mean, is it, watching the video makes me really nervous because you, you think if you're traveling at 600 miles per hour and you, the car looks kind of delicate when you, you see it in that big open expanse and you think, if that, surely if that hits a stone, you're done for. Like, and, and traveling at that speed with all the safety measures in the world, it's not going to end well. Is, is that, I mean, how on earth you keep it on the straight and narrow when you've got a little bit you don't know what the floor is you know gonna you might hit oh, a rabbit oh. there might be a freaking yeah you know spring yeah. that tears across the ground you know it's does it just not fill you with absolute dread when you're there in in the real world scenario live yeah, yeah uh, no because <laughs> <laughs> i have to say that but no i i mean you you guys are formula one you know i the preparation that goes into a Formula One vehicle, you know, is huge. You know, whether it's the design, the prayer, preparing the driver, the team, and, you know, doing the pit stops, that is training and preparation. It's the same for Bloodhound. And to answer your specific question about the track, that has taken a number of years, three, four, five years to prepare. And how have we prepared it? It has been cleared by hand of all the stones. We're talking a 12-mile-long track wow. with multiple lanes, uh. if you've seen the video, cleared by hand. Now, the part of South Africa we're in is very, you know, very poor area, South Africa. So we've employed a lot of, you know, there's 80 90% unemployment. So we employed... Um, local communities, we put in water because they had no fresh water. We put in power and they, they cleared the track of stones. And, and the, the, the figure we use is like, it's equivalent to a two lane motorway from here to Moscow, wow. clearing it by hand all the stones. So that's how we've de-risked the stone issue. But you've got, the car is robust. I mean, it's six and a half tons, you know, each of the wheels, metallic wheels, 90 kilos each. So it's it, small stones. You'll see the little dinks in the wheels, but large stones have been removed. Animals, we have, uh, we use the team engine, you know, the team members themselves, so the technicians, you know, everybody, we have them lined along, spaced out along, you know, surveying for any animals or humans or, because locals sometimes <laughs> drive across God. there. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's preparation. And, and so... It doesn't fill me with dread. Um, we go through the motions, we go through the checks, um, and we do, you know, 
within reason, we do everything we can to make sure that track's safe. But ultimately, it's not 100%, no, and I no. recognise that. I, I feel better. I feel better now, though. I feel I feel more at ease watching these videos, and uh, it, it's still ter- terrifying. And, and how um, Andy Green does it, I will never know. What, can we talk about downforce? Because this is something that we do understand a little bit. And obviously, in Formula 1, there's huge amounts of downforce to keep the cars on the track. And this year, um, the regulations have changed so that the downforce is coming via the floor of the car through ground effect rather than on top of the car with all the aero uh, bits and pieces. Um, presumably, you need um, the opposite of um, a typical jet-powered aircraft where you want lift. You're, you're going for the opposite and pushing down into the earth. So, uh, the, when you look at the car, and for those that haven't seen it, you should Google it. I mean, it, lo- it looks like a rocket ship. It's very sort of spherical and... Um, you know, not necessarily wings um, in, in the traditional sense. How do you keep that vehicle grounded? Yeah, good questions. And um, and that's why it took a number of years to get that design right. Um, all done for the first time, um, not through real wind tunnel testing, as I mentioned earlier, through computer modeling. Um, and that's been, that's the clever bit of this car, is the aerodynamics to reduce drag, which is, which we can talk about, but that that is just the forces in the drag forces involved going at the speeds we're going are just astronomical. So it's reducing the drag, um, but also that aerodynamic stability on the ground. And that that took that took many iterations of design to get right. Um, the testing we did in South Africa was actually to validate that. So the forces, you know, as we ramp up the jet engine, it does nose down. Um, but with the loading on the nose increases, I mean, it's a six and a half ton car, so it's about 300 kilos as we start accelerating. But then the aerodynamic at low speed, aerodynamic forces are not so relevant. But as we, as the speed increases, they do come into play. So we've looked at that the pressure data, the airflow around the car and the suspension movement. And, and ultimately, in very simple figures, we're, we've got up to 600 miles per hour. We've got about an extra ton loading on the car, um, putting it, pushing it onto the surface. But interestingly, the wheels, that, which if you Google, and their wheels are very interesting, they took an uh, immense amount of work to design because the forces are just so significant. But they're shaped in very simple terms like the hull of a boat. So... Once you've got the downforce increasing, you've got the planing of the wheels over the desert sand, and um, and that you know that that again you explain that to a kid, it's like oh that's just so cool. Yeah, in effect, you've got a car, but now it's behaving like a boat, and it is a fighter aircraft design. All of that is mixed into this one thing, and and it yeah, I, it's it's a huge. I mean, it's 12, 13, 30 meters long. You know, it's it's a fascinating machine to get up close. Um, and I could do my another plug now. It's if you want to see it, it's currently on show in the Coventry Transport Museum. So you can get up close and have a real look at a car that's done 600 miles per hour and, and hopes to break the land speed record and go on to higher speeds. Oh, we've got to go and see that we at do. some point. I think you just describing what their techies and engineers are going absolutely <laughs> mental hearing all of that because it's just so fascinating as well. And I love the fact, you know, that it is. You're testing, as you say, you know, these areas, you know, poor areas in South Africa, but you're also, you know, improving it and developing the area at the same time. And I think that's that's yeah. brilliant. It's bringing a benefit. You're not just there, you know, absolutely smashing to pieces, you know, part of the land. It's becoming a community benefit as well, which is brilliant. Um, but before we come on to our, our final three questions, I just want to touch on the driver that you have as well, Andy Green. 
he's got to sit in the cockpit of this and and drive it up to these incredible speeds. Yeah. What what's his background? Where's he come from? What's his drive to do this? Yeah, well, he, he, you won't be surprised um, that he's a ex fighter pilot. So oh, makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so you do need you need certain skill set and you know fighter jet background the ability to process quickly and remain calm under you know uh, you know pressures that you and i won't under won't be able to understand unless you do it i mean and the other thing is andy green is and i'm sure most of you know audience already know you know he holds the current land speed record he is the only human that's gone faster than the speed of sound in a car on the ground. And um, and that, I mean, there's some YouTube videos of him, what he went through. Um, it, it's just a huge challenge, but a fantastic guy and that ability to get in a car and, you know, and go up to those speeds. I've spoken, you know, I, I won't reveal names, but I've spoken to racing drivers who, I, I, you know, you offer it and you think they would say yes, but they actually realise you know, the speed you're going at is 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 slightly different yeah. to, you know, Formula One speeds. Formula One's completely different. Obviously, you're racing and you're you're this is straight line for land speed record yeah. and um, it, it, totally. And I think as a as a Formula One driver, you know, you, you would sort of think, oh, well, let's go to a Formula One driver, but they're they're wired differently. You know, they're 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 thinking about <clears throat> the entry into the apex and the exit, <clears throat> the exit of a corner. Um, you know, not necessarily that sort of fighter pilot mentality and the control that I mean, he his his skill set and his brain must be quite unique in, in terms of the there can't be that many people around the world who could actually do that specific function of sitting in a car at six or 700 miles per hour and keep it in a straight line and do it without your heartbeat going through the roof and, you know, feeling the, the, the feedback from the steering wheel is because I imagine at that sort of speed, the steering wheel is doing all sorts of weird, wonderful things, even in a straight line. It's, it's absolutely extraordinary. The, the, the documentary, when did you say that comes out? No, it's out. It's, it's out. out. Sorry, so it was, we can um, watch that. A year ago. And, it's on catch up. So yeah, our documentary of our testing in South Africa and, and you've got cockpit video. So all of, you know, what you've just talked about, um, dealing with steering the vehicle and then all, also the different things you need to be doing. He needs to be mo- monitoring various systems. And then he then has to, obviously there have been emergencies he's had to deal with and there's, you know, release the parachute at the right time and all of these things. I mean, he is captured in that program. There's also YouTube videos where you can, watch it and ultimately we go for the land speed record in this digital age um there's a number of things we want to be first on and 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 live live watching a car do a land speed record live whether you're on your phone your computer whatever you'll have the ability do i want to watch the driver do i want yeah. to watch from the fin? do i want to watch from the rocket do where do i want to watch you can you can join that journey wherever you are in the world and, and, and watch us go through the speed of sound and then, you know, hopefully break the land speed record. It's amazing. One more that I just thought before we go on to our final three, that presumably there's, there's a point where you simply can't go any quicker for whatever reason. Do you know what that point is? No, but I give you our current understanding, and this is the engineering evolution. You know, back 100 years ago, they said if you went beyond 100 miles per hour, a human would die. They honestly said, oh, you couldn't do it. And then we get we get that now. You know, you can't do faster than the speed of sound, and Andy Green did it, you know, in thrust SSC. So 
So there is that, but the current understanding is, and this is, you know, my, my position based on the fact we've already tested the car is the car is ready and able to break a land speed record. So 800, 850 miles per hour based on the performance of the car so far um, uh, and the testing we've done, confident, and we're in that good position. The car is in theory designed to do 1,000 miles per hour, and that's what the computer modeling has, has assessed. However, you've got to then overlay a lot of other factors, um, and the forces involved. We saw already some of the, the, the damage from airflow already taking effect, and you can't necessarily model that because you have dirt, dust hitting the car at almost supersonic speed. So, so all of that, um, a thousand miles per hour, do I think it's achievable? I don't know. And I, I wouldn't bet a beer on it until we've gone faster. Cause again, it's that incremental testing, but, but, um, 850, yes, a thousand. No. Now there's then going back to good, you know, what was mentioned about the track. We have physical limitate geographical limitations You've got to get the car up to speed. And actually, one of my biggest concerns that my job is, is then you've got to actually stop the car safely. Yeah. So you're now talking distances and you need a flat surface. And the hack scheme pan, which is this um, salt pan in South Africa, is where we found. And there are very few places on the planet that have, you know, have this distance. So we are going to run out of the ability to, and there's only a certain limit to how you can accelerate the car. And then we're up to speeds, up to record speeds in a minute. And then we're back down to zero again in a minute. That's how quick this all happens. I mean, when you go through the flying mile in three, four, five seconds, you're done, you know, and you've covered a mile. So, so you need a track. And then so you get into those limitations. So, yeah, um, a thousand miles per hour. Um, we're not in that position to be able to judge that. But 850, absolutely. Could they ever be driverless? Oh, good, good one. It's a good one. And one, actually, so the Bloodhound um, project, and I would say this, is, you know, it's about engineering leadership. It's about pushing the boundaries and re-attacking things and solving problems people said you could never do. Um, so speed's one thing. Okay, go fast. Okay, can we prove people we can go faster than the speed of sound? Yes, we've done it. We're going to now go faster. That's just amazing. But there's leadership on other areas. And then there's two things that I, I'd like to bring up. The one, obviously, is driverless. And I've definitely considered that. And there is, there is, and I, I'm sure the record would evolve into, wait a second, you know, this is something that should become an official record. Um, and I, you know, I am tempted to seriously consider this. It's good for de-risking testing. So you could be potentially more adventurous in your testing without the driver. Um, but the outright land speed record needs a human being in control of the vehicle. And Bloodhound is, that's what we're going to do. Um, but yeah, no, can it? Of course it can. And that opens up a whole new challenge for engineering in the software domain, you know, people designing, you know, dealing with steering a car at 800 miles per hour. Yeah, it's another engineering challenge. And I think, you know, I, I would like to lead the way on that. Um, the other example that we, we want to lead away on is people see Bloodhound as a fossil fuel guzzling machine. Why is that relevant? You know, why is that relevant today? Well, I, my plans now are to, to do... You know, I have this vision that we're going to do the first net zero land speed record. 
And, you know, Formula One have got to get their head around, you know, reducing their environmental impact. And our what we do will be a big event. You know, yes, it's a one-off event, breaking the land speed record. But if we were to do that net zero, I think that would, again, inspire yeah. a lot of people. Because engineers have got to solve this environmental problem. And if Bloodhound was not, um, you know, shoving fossil fuel out the back, the flame was green, and we're able to do this now, and there's a lot of work being done. The, the rocket is green anyway, so that that emits oxygen and water. So we're happier. And the fuel is made using renewable energy. The jet engine is like aviate, you know, commercial. It's yeah. you guzzling fossil fuel. However, there's a lot of work done on sustainable aviation fuel, and so we could run. No fighter jet runs on sustainable aviation fuel made from carbon capture from the air and water, you can make fuel. And they've done, the Royal Air Force have done the first flights, a little light aircraft using fuel that didn't come from the ground and didn't come from sugarcane biofuels. It came from taking the carbon from the air and water using renewable electricity. You can make, and it's been proven, you can make aviation fuel. What? So if we send one pound down the desert, with that fuel, and the rocket is green because that's being developed for the European Space Agency to turn rocket green, we would have a net zero car, which with a land speed record. And I think that would be highly relevant to today and would inspire younger generation. Wow, they've just done something amazing. So that, that's yeah. my vision, and that's what we're aiming for. Uh, I mean, as elevator pitches go, that was a pretty good one. I mean, it's it's mind-boggling stuff when you get into the weeds of it isn't it um and i suppose as well that a lot of this technology um not only has relevance in terms of everyone going green but i suppose it can trickle down into um public life in some form or another in terms of the tech that it's created a bit like formula one does you know that trickle down of technology it's um yeah, it, yeah it's it's mind-boggling um right Stuart, we've um, kept you long enough. We have three final questions for you, which are brought to you by our friends at F1 Experiences. Uh, Harry, do you want to kick off this week? Well, yes. I mean, it seems like a bit of a stupid question to ask now, but what's got you excited at the moment? (laughs) Okay. Um, What's got excited is uh, this fairly new thinking of, of doing a net zero, uh, let's be record. So that that's the new, I'm excited by Bloodhound and I've probably, being a bit over exuberant but i am passionate about the project and what it brings and so the exciting bit now is 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 to go net zero so that that's where we're at at the moment now um you're a man who's um reached a certain um uh sort of peak of your of your career how much of your success do you put down to luck and right place right time and how much is down to sheer hard work right um good question so I've learned in life, um, you work hard, so then you're ready for those lucky moments. So, you know, in the Air Force, you work hard and, you you know, you get you get the promotions through working hard and then the opportunities arise out of that. Um, and so, yeah, my advice or my view on life is you work hard because luck does turn up and you want to be in the best position you can be to, to grab that moment. So that'll be my answer. Yeah, well said. Oh, the voice is nearly going. Sorry. Oh, hello, I'm still here. <laughs> One more question. What are you scared of? Blimey. Well, yes. Okay, what am I scared of? I, I, scared's the wrong question. Obviously, if an engineer says they're scared, you, you, that, yeah, you don't. <laughs> yeah, engineers not engineers don't do hear. scary things. No. Um, 
concern. Um, yeah, so uh, COVID, COVID uh, hit the project hard and it's hit a lot of, you know, it's hit everybody hard and it's hit organizations and it's, you know, it's been tough. And the Bloodhound team, you know, it's been very tough. You know, in those challenging times, sponsorship dries up. Um, and so money becomes an issue. Um, and so that's my concern is the instability in the world at the moment. You know, we've we've hopefully gone through COVID, albeit it's not totally gone yet. But, um, you know, the instability in the world is a concern. Um, and I'm sure it is for everybody what's going on in Ukraine. And so... Who knows, you know, sport events, whether, who knows what's going to happen. If there's a fuel crisis, Formula One, is it going to operate? I don't know. I'm not, you answered if I'm scared. I'm being honest about whether I'm concerned. Um, I'm not scared, but we just need to be realistic. That That's something that could impact everybody and could in, obviously impact the Bloodhound team. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but uh, on that note, funding is an issue. And, I, you know, I'll be honest, I've got another plug. I'm looking for investment and I, I'm looking actually for a new owner as well. So, you know, that that's I'm looking for someone who's as passionate as me to go, you know, well, this is great British engineering. This is great for STEM. This is leading the way in, you know, setting an example, whether it's net zero or just whatever. And I, I need a partner, um, and I'm, I'm looking for someone to to join in with that investment stroke ownership. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, listen, Stuart, it's been absolutely fascinating hearing from you. It's a it's a brilliant project um, with so many um, good and positive things coming out of it. So thank you for telling us all about it and the engineering aspects, um, which are which are so so interesting. Um, when you uh, head back to South Africa or, or wherever you end up in the world to to break this record, let us know. We we need to be there. Um, for now, Stuart Emerson, thanks so much for joining us on the Motor Math Podcast. Thank you very much. If you've been listening to this and thinking, actually, I really want to go and experience a race for myself in person, why not do it in style at a Formula One Grand Prix thanks to F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel program of Formula One. F1 Experiences really is the closest you can get to the sport. Official ticket packages, which include the best race tickets, first class hotels, travel and exclusive behind the scenes access across a Grand Prix weekend. F1 Experiences offer packages like no other. So to book your F1 Experiences package, head online to f1experiences.com and if you enter code MM11F1E, you'll get 5% off too. Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too, so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review, and until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast.